The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. And good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, we begin this episode with the railways, which could see their biggest shake-up in a generation. The government plans to bring control of tracks, train operators, fares and timetables under a new public sector body called the Great British Railways. Although GBR won't be created until 2023, it's thought, new flexible season tickets and pay-as-you-go travel will be introduced from this June after the pandemic meant a 90% drop in passengers and new working habits could entirely reshape commuting. Well, the Transport Secretary Grant Shapps says the current system needs changing to stop a repeat of the timetable fiasco back in 2018. It's too complicated. When something goes wrong, no one knows whose fault it is. There's no one in charge. And we saw that in the May 2018 timetable changes where no one could put it right when it had gone wrong. What we're doing today with this white paper fixes all of that. That was Grant Shapps. Well, that said, some reforms could take several years to introduce and the need, and need the approval of the devolved parliaments as well. Well, joining us now is Mick Whitley, who's Labour MP for Birkenhead. Mick, thanks for being with us today. And uh, let me ask you, I mean, Labour in the past has been pushing for complete renationalisation. So what do you think of this idea of Great British Railways? Well, I think uh, after the, uh, you know, the debacle a couple of years ago on, on the fairs, I think it's, uh, you know, only right and proper and, you know, well, whilst I welcome, uh, you know, this initiative uh, by the government, it doesn't go far enough. Uh, my opinion would be that, uh, you know, we should return to uh, uh, renationalisation of the whole of the rail service uh, and bring it back into, uh, you know, uh, government hands. Uh, that would make it that the profits made by, uh, the, you know, the rail companies would uh, then be put back into uh, the infrastructure and make cheaper fares as well. Uh, British Rail wasn't particularly good, though, before, was it? I mean, the whole reason that it was privatised in the 90s under John Major is that it had gotten so poor. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I think uh, the way the way the government privatised, you know, they privatised, you know, uh, Network Rail, they privatised the track. No one knew what was uh, what was doing. And we had the, the, you know, the debacle in terms of, uh, you know, timetables and we had, uh, you know, the problems over fares. You know, people don't even know uh, what you know how much it takes to go from say from how many fares it takes from say from Liverpool uh, down to London, for example. So, whilst I welcome that, uh, my view would be uh, that we should renationalise the railways. But the point, surely, Mick, is that if you get if you get commercial involvement, commercial sponsorship, it would counteract, which was the real problem with British Rail, which is lack of investment. I mean, in the end, the government didn't have enough money or wasn't willing to put enough money into it. No, I think you find well. Uh, I think you find uh, you know that you know these rail companies are doing very well. Thank you very much, and paying dividends 
you know, today's shareholders. I mean, they just paid 46.5 million dividend, uh, which is funded by the government. That money could have been invested into the railway. You know, and what they're talking about now, even though they formed this great British Rail, uh, you know, uh, company, uh, they're still looking to cut uh, jobs. They're still looking to uh, put uh, pay freezes in. So, you know, when you when you get down to the detail of it, right, it doesn't make very good reading. Surely, though, keeping some private element means that you you retain um, innovation, some some kind of um, dynamism within uh, the national rail system. Uh, I, I don't really accept that, to be honest. I mean, if, you, if you look across the uh, you know the continents, uh, for uh, for example, uh, the, the west coast of Anzi is a nationalised industry. Yet it's a, it's a private uh, entity in the UK. So my, my view would be, you know, you know, we want uh, transport connection, we want connectivity throughout the UK, and we want cheap uh, cheap fares for all, uh, you know, fare paying passengers. What's the system like where you are in Birkenhead? I mean, does the rail system in normal times work? Obviously, at the moment, it's you know, the last year, it's been very difficult. But in normal times, is it is it one that people think works properly? Well, I've got to say, I mean, for example, in, in Birkenhead, uh, we, we, we've got Mersey Rail, uh, you know, and uh, to, to be fair to them, you know, they've provided a good service. Well, if, if it works there, why can't it work everywhere else? I mean, that's the obvious point, isn't it? Because they, they, they've had money put into it, the, the subsidies put into it. Now, if that was nationalised, that money would come back in to price, it you know, would make the fares cheaper. I mean, fares just seem to be going up and up and up. You know, everyone seems to profit out the face yet the fair paying passenger. Yeah. What is your view then um, in terms of broader issues around travel? I mean, away just from the rails, the airline travel advice at the moment. Are you clear what is and what is not allowed now? To be honest with you, I'm a bit, I'm, I'm a, I'm a bit confused by the, uh, by the system. If, it, if it's, you know, the, the, the green light system i understand but when you get to uh, to, to the amber it's there seems to be a lot of confusion some people say you can't go to uh, you know an amber destination and then another government minister say you can depending on what what you're going for so there is a lot of confusion in in regards to uh, you know in regards to this traffic light system you know my view is if if we've got this indian variant uh, you know uh, spreading around the, the country now and we need to be extra, extra careful. I think Boris uh, uh, didn't do himself any justice uh, when he, uh, he allowed, uh, you know, uh, in, four plane loads of uh, Indian passengers into the UK. Uh, you know, and obviously, you know, that causes, uh, you know, a lot of problems now. So I think there is a bit of confusion. It, you know, we can either go to these amber countries or we can't. My view, my view would be that we shouldn't be going. So you, you think there should be no travel at all at the moment? Because a lot of people say, well, hang on, with all the vaccination we've got, surely that's won us a bit of freedom. No, I didn't say that. I said, what I said was, the amber countries, if there's a green country, uh, you go to the, you know, on the green list, like, uh, you know, Portugal, well, that's fine. You know, I haven't got a problem with that. But, you know, what we, what we need to do, you know, we haven't got out of this pandemic yet. And, uh, you know, opening up uh, the whole of Europe, uh, you know, it's 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 quite frightening to be honest with you you know bear in mind uh, you know we've just got this uh, indian variant that's getting prevalent around the country now you know so it's a red green system for you then just to kind of um 
yeah, a, a simple a simpler system. What about then um, other matters around the party itself? Labour's lack of success in the recent elections. Uh, I mean, it's been pointed out. Obviously, does the party need a change of direction now? Well, I mean, you know, I'm, I've got to say that you know, I was, I was completely disheartened in the results uh, in the recent uh, council elections. But uh, you know, we're particularly uh, Hartlepool. But we did uh, have success, you know, uh, in Wales, Merseyside, Manchester. Uh, you know uh, the west of England. Uh, you know the west of uh, England. But I think um, you know it was a, it was it was disappointing. I think mm-hmm. the problem is that we need to be more definitive in our policies. People didn't know uh, of, uh, what we stood for. Uh, you know in Labour, and that was a, you know that was a problem to us. And I think what we need to do is we need to define our, pop, uh, our, our policies even more so people understand what Labour stands for. I think that was one of the what, that was one of the problems that we had, and I did indeed uh, go up to Hartlepool as well uh, and visit, and went went on the door knocking, you know, and uh, so it is disheartening for uh, you know for, for Labour, but I think uh, we, we'll bounce back. Well, well, Mick, let me ask you about about what happened locally because I mean, you say you did well on Merseyside, but uh, the Greens have, have have dealt you a bit of a blow in Birkenhead. They knocked Labour into second place, grabbed the three council seats. Are you worried by the Greens potentially? Yeah, uh, he did. Uh, you know, and um, you know, they uh, they did win uh, a couple of seats in in uh, in, in Birkenhead on the Weddell. They got five seats on the council now, and uh, fair play to the Green parties, you know. And they went out and campaigned, and they won them uh, particular awards. I think uh, once again, it's you know, it's getting our message across, uh, you know, to the people, uh, you know, of Birkenhead, and you know, in the wider, you know, connotations, if you like. Uh, for people to understand what Labour's uh, what Labour's all about and what Labour stands for. Uh, Andy Burnham and Sadiq Khan, uh, in the wake of the lack of success for Keir Starmer, seem to be making hay. Would either of those um, individuals get your support uh, if Keir Starmer's um, perhaps ousted at some point from from the Labour leadership? Uh, well, I mean, uh, first and foremost, uh, Andy Burnham would have to uh, be an MP. Uh, you know, to to uh, you know, to be the leader of the Labour Party, in my view. So, uh, uh, you know, I mean, he's doing a good job, Andy Byrne. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but I'm not going to speculate. Uh, you know, about who's going to be the leader of the, the Labour Party at the moment. We've got a leader, and that's Keir Starmer. Uh, obviously, I think uh, you know, it was a bit. You know, I was a bit concerned over the uh, the rush. Uh, you know, to uh, make the cabinet, you know, to have a reshuffle in the shadow cabinet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think we should have done that then. I thought we should have waited and looked and analysed uh, the seats uh, that we lost yeah. and, uh, you know, and done it then, but not now. Uh, I right. think it was a long time, but we, do- we had to do what we had to do and it was done. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And Caroline, we begin with the pandemic and jabs. 
Yes, 34 and 35-year-olds in England are now being invited to book a coronavirus vaccine appointment. The rollout is being sped up in areas known to have cases of the Indian COVID variant. And in Northern Ireland, it's 25 to 29-year-olds who are being called forward for jabs as of today. Meanwhile, the chaos over the government's foreign travel policy continues with analysis by the Daily Telegraph showing up to 270,000 Britons are going to fly to amberlist countries over the weekend. Well, Hancock, Mike, Matt Hancock, the health secretary, yesterday claimed the government's advice not to go on holiday to places on the amberlist was crystal clear. And the Home Secretary, Priti Patel, says people returning from amberlist countries to isolate at home should expect knocks on the door from the, well, quotes, holiday police and they run the risk of a £10,000 fine if they've broken their isolation. The Daily Mail says the holiday police have the capacity to carry out 10,000 home visits a day. 30,000 were conducted last week. Well, Arlene Foster is meeting Boris Johnson for the final time as First Minister of Northern Ireland today. She resigned as DUP leader last month with Edwin Poots being elected as her replacement. Foster told reporters that she has got pressing issues to raise with the Prime Minister, like trading arrangements after Brexit, which mean checks on goods arriving from Britain. Of course, I believed in Brexit because I believed that we needed to leave the European Union and all of the stringent rules that were there to allow us to have a place in the world. But if the United Kingdom is to have a new place in the world, Northern Ireland must be part of that. And at present, because of the protocol, we're not. Arlene Foster. And a group of peers is urging the Prime Minister to be more open about his levelling up agenda. The House of Lords Public Services Committee says Boris Johnson needs to explain why some areas are being given new opportunities over others. The chair and Labour peer Hilary Armstrong says a lack of transparency is fueling accusations of political bias and she's urging the government to base its decisions on the index of multiple deprivation. Well, it's two weeks since the local and regional elections dealt a blow to Labour and they have thrown up a lot of issues that could change the political weather. The new Indian variant of the virus, the confusion over whether or not foreign travel is advisable and the doubts about the final England reopening still slated for the 21st of June. So how are people feeling about all of this now? Well, who better to tell us than Joe Twyman, founder of the polling organisation Delta Poll. Joe, welcome back to the programme. Great to have you on. So um, is the great British public in favour then of the continued loosening up of restrictions, do you think, on the whole? Uh, Well, one of the trends that we've seen really since the pandemic began was that generally speaking, the British public are more hesitant than you might imagine uh, on the side of caution and believe that, uh, that the changes that are taking place don't go far enough and happen too late. But in the last three or four months, as the situation with infection rates, as the situation with hospital admissions, and crucially as the situation with vaccines has improved significantly, we have seen a movement uh, that, is, that has seen the public more in line with the government's position. Recently, however, there have been, uh, there have been concerns about, uh, uh, about what will happen with the Indian variant. Now, The result of that has been that around about half of people believe that if this is an increase in concern, then uh, then the areas of the country that are affected by it should be locked down. 
But then a third of people believe that actually if this situation gets worse, the entire country should remain locked down. So it, it illustrates that it's really not as clear cut on this issue moving forward as, uh, as you might imagine. And that, of course, raises questions for the government, who will have to assess the most effective way from a uh, from a clinical and health point of view of dealing with this, but they also have to align themselves with public opinion. Yeah, it's very interesting how that has all played out, because a large part, many people think of what happened in the uh, local and regional elections was essentially the public saying that they did like or, or thought was a good uh, way of dealing with the pandemic. But I suppose one of the interesting things in all this is about the rules, because uh, many people have complained in the past about the rules not being clear right the way through the pandemic. And I think it's really rather focused now on the travel issue, um, the amber light, the red light, the green light in terms of countries you can visit. So, I mean, the public feeling they're well aware of what they can and can't do? Uh, there is confusion over the uh, over the travel uh, traffic light system. In a sense, that's less important because so few people, relatively speaking, are travelling. Uh, when we had the issue around lockdowns and and what was allowed at different points over the last well over the last fifteen months, uh, there was much greater confusion then uh, because it affected people's day to day lives. At the moment. So few people, relatively speaking, are travelling or having people travel here uh, to see them that it's really not uh, not something that's resonated yet. But as time goes on, particularly as we approach uh, as we approach the summer, and people start thinking about, oh well, can I perhaps go away for a summer holiday? I think the government will have to tie down not just the rules about. Uh, red, amber and green countries, but also the rules around vaccinations. Because if someone has been uh, vaccinated twice, should they go through the same rules for travelling to another country as someone who hasn't been vaccinated at all? Those are the kind of things that the government will have to get get its head around, essentially, but has yet to, uh, has yet to really be clear on. And as, as time goes on, the more and more people who start thinking about this means that more and more people will be confused. Yeah, indeed. Um, having said that, how happy are people feeling around the virus? Um, does the public effectively think that it's been beaten? Because we have started to see that show up in the, some of the kind of consumer sentiment numbers that, that we get, that people feel more positive economically and so on. So do people on the whole feel that we are beating this health crisis? Well, I wouldn't go as far as to say that people are happy about the virus or indeed the, the situation mm. generally, but they're certainly a lot less upset than they were previously. Uh, and so concern for the virus, which previously was running around uh, about 90% of people saying they were concerned, that's now fallen. It's still around sort of 7 out of 10 people concerned, uh, which mm. is still a high number, but it's less than uh, less than what it was. And, so, and similarly, uh, if you go back to October, November last year, the run-up to Christmas, when uh, when there was all that confusion about uh, about increased variants and, uh, and, of course, ultimately led to the cancelling of Christmas, there was a belief that the government were doing the wrong thing when it came to uh, uh, when it came to dealing with the virus, and indeed that played out in the voting intention figures, and we saw Labour ahead in some of the polls. Now the situation has reversed, and by a margin of nearly two to one, people think the government is doing the right thing and that the country is moving in the right direction. And the Conservatives have been the beneficiaries of that, both in the polls and at the uh, and at the ballot box. But the crucial point to remember is that this can change very quickly, and over the last year we've seen. Rapid 
rapid changes in the polling as the situation has evolved on the ground. The virus doesn't pay much attention, <laughs> any attention, to public, uh, to public opinion. And so, uh, and so situations such as the Indian variant and the, and the dangers that pose uh, could have an impact on polling if it's perceived uh, to be an increased threat and a serious threat over the next few weeks and months. Now, it's very interesting you're mentioning there about party support and how that plays out. Because let's, let's dig into that a little bit more deeply. I mean, what about support for the party leaders? We obviously had a, a real polling effect, I suppose, on the elections two weeks ago. But in general, for Boris Johnson and for Keir Starmer, how are things moving? Well, uh, if you were looking at these in historical terms, you would say that actually they're both doing pretty well. Usually you have one leader who's doing well and one leader who's doing significantly worse, uh, one in positive territory and one in negative territory, or actually quite often both in negative territory. Uh, but what we're seeing now is that Keir Starmer consistently has been in positive territory, although he's in a, in a downward tra- trajectory more recently. And Boris Johnson has, uh, has seen himself in positive territory consistently uh, throughout the uh, throughout recent months and uh, and indeed over the last uh, year, but has uh, dipped into negative territory when the situation with the COVID virus has uh, has deteriorated. And really, certainly for Boris Johnson's personal rating specifically and for the Conservative Party more generally, the last 15 months have seen a, a close correlation between perceived performance on the virus and their, uh, uh, and their ratings. With Keir Starmer, it's slightly different, but in a sense, it's not really a, an accurate comparison to compare him to, uh, to previous leaders or indeed other leaders from the, uh, uh, from the past, both in terms of prime ministers and opposition leaders, because these are not just unusual circumstances, but unique circumstances. Mm. For the last 15 months, the only game in town for many people has been the coronavirus. It's not just that it's the most important issue facing the country. For many people, they say it is the only important issue facing the country. And so for the government yeah. to perform well or badly on that has a massive impact. Yeah, uh, of course. We've all been um, completely absorbed by it. Um, what about, though, um, Sadiq Khan and Andy Burnham? We were just talking about this to um, Labour MP Mick Whitley earlier. Uh, I wonder whether there's any kind of information from your polling on these two? I mean, they are nationally known politicians, uh, just in case they happen to try to vie for Keir Starmer's current job. Uh, well, they are both nationally uh, known politicians, and Sadiq Khan is uh, is popular in London, as he, <laughs> as he proved with his re-election. And the same is true for uh, same is true for Andy Burnham. Uh, whether they have the kind of national appeal that would be needed to make a significant difference is uh, is uncertain, because of course most people don't know much about them. But the key question, from a political perspective, is what could they do in the unique era of the coronavirus? What could they do that would be significantly yeah. different? from Kirsten. It's not as if they can launch their own separate vaccine program. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. 
join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.